Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Yardena Asban, here with my friend of Chavruta, Ann Gordon. Our daf today, Masach B'Sachim, daf Chaf, 20. First of all, happy Hanukkah, everybody. Uh, we're excited to be learning with you during this special holiday and hope that we will see a week of miracles and healing for the whole world. Sorry, I'm getting a little, uh, but I, I think this year we deserve it. Um, so this is going to be our last page that deals with Tumantara, and we hope that everybody really enjoyed sort of this Tumantara section. Um, I want to start off by talking about this case about the cow that we find a needle in, right? And so the Mishnah tells us, and I'm reading here from the top of Amadalus, Bahabasar Tame, right? That the if this needle is found, right, we we assume that it's Tame, and the meat of the animal is now Tame. Hi Basar Bamai. And so the Gemara basically asks, well, how did the like how is it that the needle was able to transmit tuma to the meat, right? It needed to be machshir, right? It had to have a liquid that touched it, right? Remember, we talked about that with liquids, that it's not just that food touches something and becomes tummy, but rather that it needs to, you know, have a liquid that it touched, one of those seven liquids that we talked about. And then it sort of becomes, then it becomes susceptible to becoming uh, tummy. So the question is, okay, so w- what did this cow, what did the meat actually touch here? So if you say that it was blood, right? Right? So here we're going to have a particular teaching. And again, it's one of these teachings that I think is, again, emphasizing a limitation of Tumantara as it's practiced in the Beit HaMikdash, because it would sort of make it too difficult within the Beit HaMikdash, right? Where Rabbi Chia teaches in the name of Rabbi Yochanan, that in terms of the blood of Kudshim, right? It does not, blood in that case, cannot make things um, uh, machshir, can't make it ready or susceptible for Tuma. Why? And they quote here a Pasuk from Devarim, Perik Yudbet, Pasuk Tetzayin, chapter 12, verse 16, right? That says basically you can't eat blood, you have to pour it, uh, on the earth like water. And so therefore, what do the Chachamim learn, for it, learn from here? Blood that's pour, poured like water, right? Blood uh, that is poured out, right? That is machshir. That can render food susceptible. But blood that is not poured out, and we know that in the case of a korban, the blood is always collected and then it's sprinkled on the Mizbeach, that is not machshir things. So again, another limitation, the blood of the korban, of a korban animal, of, of, of kachim, cannot actually render anything. It's not machsh or anything uh, because of this. Now, it's- now, this proof is interesting, uh, and it's a totally new proof. We've already talked about, again, you know, that we try to limit the tuma of the Beit HaMikdash, but we already had a proof about this already, um, and we'll see what the Gemara does next, but I'm surprised that this is the pr- first proof that's brought on this page, and I'll explain a little bit more later about that. And then the Gemara goes on to say, right? So now they, um, uh, now they're going to come back to the Beit Midbacha. And now they give the Rabbi Yossi Ben Yoezer thing. So again, my question on this is, why did they have, like, I would have thought this would have been taught first. Do you hear what I'm saying, Anne? Like, we had so much discussion about this Rabbi Yossi Ben Yoezer thing. But now they first come up with this Rabbi Chia teaching. 
Yeah. Yeah, but we've this is not the first time that we've said we might have, you know, found a different organizing principle for the right. material. I, I just thought it was interesting. Like we spent so much time on the on the slaughtering on the slaughtering house, but here they give this very nice teaching about like how do we know the dam is actually not, you know, is actually not machir, and they bring a nice pasuk for it, and then they bring the Rabbi Yossi ben Yoezer again. All right, I just thought this whole although thing was I would also say that Rabbi Yossi ben Yoezer as one of the zugo. Zugot, rather, right? Shouldn't he just always be first? Correct, except that you're giving a Torah source beforehand. So maybe that's why I he hear. said it first. I, I don't, I just thought it was interesting because we spent so much time on this concept before. Okay, so that's how they want to learn. So basically, from two sources now, or for two reasons, we're going to say, you know, um, that, uh, you know, we're going to say that, uh, right, so sorry, so they bring this up to say, right, that maybe the water is what made it, right? The the water, right, is maybe what made it. It wasn't blood. And then Rabbi, then they remind us, so Rabbi Yossi ben Yoezer says, no, all the liquids of the slaughtering house, right, the blood and the water can't make it impure. So maybe the other reason why it's organized this way is they start with blood and then they go to an example that includes blood and water. I don't know. I, I, I just thought it was interesting here. Um, so, but I think we came up with a couple of reasons, right? Either it's Toshim yeah. to Atana, or it's, you know, first a case of a, a, a proof for blood, then a proof for blood and water. Um, maybe it's that. Or maybe just, as you said, Anne, maybe it has a different organizing principle. Right? So why don't we say that maybe it's machshir, right, to Tuma, because of chibat hakodesh, right? So this is a very interesting concept, right? And um, I, I think uh, we mentioned this before, actually, this idea when we talked about Rabbi Akiva saying that inedible items, right, like the 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 ketoret could become tame because of chibat hakodesh, right? It's it's beloved because it's kadosh. So even though it's inedible, it could become you know it has a higher level. We treat it that it could become tame. So here we're saying okay, so you know maybe because of chibat hakodesh, right? Even though certain things cannot normally become tame, right? De, you know delraisa, right? They actually do become susceptible to Tuma, and it's a rabbinic law. It's right, it's Chibat HaKodesh because they're so Kadosh, right? Imor de Mahane Le Chibat HaKodesh, Liv Sule Gufe, Lemina, Bait Rishon Bitsheni Name. And so the Gemara says, no, they're like this thing of Chibat HaKodesh, right? What does it do? It disqualifies, it, it makes puzzle the meat itself. In other words, not because the meat became Tame but the meat itself, but it can't transmit it, right? And so it's getting into a discussion here, like, what would this count as then? Is it like a first? Is it a reshown? Is it a shaney? Like, what is, uh, you know, what is the meat exactly? Um, and so I guess what they're basically asking here, and the reason why they'll reject this premise is, is that can the tuma that comes from Chibat HaKodesh, can it transmit it to other things like like a standard, you know, like like a regular Tuma. So there's something about this that, in other words, they just don't like this idea that all of a sudden the, the needle, right, can make it tame because of Chibat HaKodesh. They're like, that's not exactly how it works. Usually it's to make it puzzle, but not to make it tame. But Rish Lakish adds an interesting qualifier here, or I guess he looks at this differently, right? The Gemara just previously said that it only become puzzle, this type of meat, the Chibat HaKodesh, right? And then, you know, there's also a question of, right, you know, is it a Rishon or Shani can it actually transmit? And so what does he say? 
Tipsu Dubai Reshlakish, right? So Reshlakish basically answers this or asks this question. Sreed Shalmanachot, right? So we're talking about the meal offering here, right? Monimbo Rishon Vishani Olo, right? And so he basically says, is it a Rishon Latuma or is it a Shani Latuma? Meaning what Reshlakish ultimately is saying is all of these Chibat uh, HaKodesh uh, items, they can actually become Tame. That's not what the question is. The question is more, do they actually transmit? And the Gemara doesn't actually go much farther into that. Um, so um, so now they're going to give a different answer. Amar of Yehuda, Amar Shmuel, Kagon Shaita Parashel Zibchei Shlamim, Vehevira Benahar, Veshachta, Vehadayin Mashket Tupach Alecha. So now Rabbi Yehuda says in the name of Shmuel, this is what the case actually is. It's referring to a case, right, where a cow was brought as a, as a peace offering, right? So in other words, the, the, the meat of this cow actually belongs to the owners, right? And the owner leads it through a river, okay? And some of them have to explained that maybe it was to clean it or something like that, right? Then he shechs it, okay? And while it was still, but the, it was still wet from, from this river water, right? And therefore what? And therefore it became susceptible, right? Right? So we basically are, what we're learning here is, is that if this needle is basically found in the secretions of the animal's stomach, then everything is going to be considered to be pure, right? And so then the Gemara is going to say, okay, well, we gave an example of why it would be tame, right? And now we're going to say, but okay, if it's in just the secretions of the stomach, right? So it's like floating around, I guess, in the stomach juice or something like that. So then let these secretions, right? Maybe they could be the things that transmit impurity. Maybe that's how it's machshir, right? Because in other words, that's what you do. So Rav Azabar Acha basically says it's a thick type of secretion. So it's not really a liquid. And Rav Ashi says, no, it's like a soft secretion. And because also, it, and, and, and not only that, it's considered to be mashke tzaruch. It's like something offensive. And that type of mashke cannot actually transmit tuma. So it's interesting to me that sort of at the end of all of this, they entertain two very specific cases, right? One of these cases is that the animal had to go through a river and it got wet and it was still wet when it got shechted. And the second case is, you know, they're trying to say, well, maybe it was machshir from like the stomach juice, um, you know, which I thought was also interesting. It's also interesting to me because it doesn't like technically fall under sort of these seven, you know, typical liquids. And they ultimately reject that. Um, but what I found interesting about this whole passage also is besides the source thing that I mentioned before is, again, it's one of these examples where they had this Mishnah. They had this interesting case of the cow and the needle and in a way, almost, they had to, they're bothered by this Mishnah. They can't figure out, like, what's this Mishnah actually teaching? And so in the end, they sort of end up restricting it to this very odd case about, this, uh, about you know, uh, where, where it got wet somehow. Um, and I think this is just one approach that they have, at least the Gemara, to some of these Mishnahs, that when they read them, it, it's the, we all know that Mishnahs, you have to sort of fill the details in. And when they're sort of having difficulty filling the details in, I think one way for the Gemara to deal with it or the Amorayim to deal with it is they end up restricting it to a very, very, very specific case. 
even though there's nothing in the text of the actual Mishnah that indicates that's the case that it's talking about. Um, yeah, I think then it's always going to be a question, right? Are the Tanayim or the Amarayim, are they, did they mean it to be a limitation on something that naturally would have been a broader statement? Or are they kind of sussing out the fact that that statement was really only ever intended to be the narrower statement? Right. I think that's an excellent question. And I'm not sure that we totally know. Like, I think there are certain Mishnahs where they, I think the, um, again, Mishnahs were orally memorized, right? Does that make sense? They were memorized. So I think some of them, the commentary, the commentary on it was better known. And I think some of them, and it makes sense to me that a Tumantara one, it was not as well known. And they're sort of grappling with like, how do you make sense of this? Knowing the rules that we do know about Tumantara, how does this case fit into those rules? And that's what I think you see them doing here, right? They're sort of going through those, those rules. Well, we know Dom can't be Machsher because of this. We know that Dom and water cannot be Machsher because of the statement of Rabbi Yossi ben Yoezer. You know, we know that, we know, we know the concept of Chibat Kodesh. And so ultimately they're going to land on this very specific case as the only way to really understand it. Okay. I think, and I think that that kind of, at some point, it doesn't matter whether they're, you know, stabbing something original or if they're actually doing the limitation, because at the end of the day, it does, it functions in the same way. Right. A hundred percent. But I just think the process of it is interesting to me. And the process on this stuff, I was very taken by. I, I agree with you. Um, I was perhaps less taken by it, but 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 that's not because I'm taken by the process of it. I think that I have, you know, somebody I know said, um, you know, all the belly aching about Erevin, who knew this was coming in in Psachim, right? So I feel like I actually kind of got into Erevin at a certain point. And I, as I've said already here, I feel like I, sometime between now and much later in the Masachtot, you know, of the seven and a half years of Dafyomi, I will get a handle on Tumantara, I hope, but that day didn't happen yet. Um, what I'm intrigued by, I, there's a couple of things that I'm intrigued by, but on the last, the really the last section of this daf on Amabet, we have something that is so, um, I would say clutch, right? It's, I, I would say prescient, but it doesn't make sense to say that in the context of how Dafyomi works. We have a question, Maishna, what's the difference between Shemen oil, that you could light it. And it says, what's the difference between oil versus wine? And here we are on the first day of Hanukkah. And I'm struck by the fact that, you know, we, the, the Duff wasn't talking about oil yesterday, you know, and I don't know whether it will be tomorrow. And yet here it is just so perfectly introduced, you know, so, so suitable for the day. So the fact that that happens and it seems to keep happening. It's right? our, na- when it's we, always we were... our nice mistar. That's what it always is. It really is, right? We had to talk about Matan Torah right before Shavuot, right? So I like this. I like that this happens. Um, and also I like the question. I like the question of what's the difference between oil and wine? So let's, the fact is that before we get to this question towards the end of the daf, there's a good chunk of this Amud Bet that is really talking about it's Mishnayot and Breitot that are brought in the name of Rabbi Yehoshua. And really where the question is as follows. If you ha- are using shemen, you have oil, and for whatever reason, it becomes, let's say, mixed up with chulin. Instead of being, I'm sorry, you have oil and let's say it's truma, 
right? So that's the status of the oil. It is, it has been given to the Kohanim, whatever. And now it is inadvertently and rather terribly mixed up with Chulan. And you can no longer use it as truma. You can no longer really use it, right? In general, it's become tame, let's say, right? Now, what can you do with this oil? Can you do anything with the oil? Do you need to chuck it? And the answer seems to be that for oil, you can actually burn it, meaning it, that, is, that is destroying it fundamentally, but in the act of destroying it, you also are getting a use out of it. Whereas if you're talking about wine, if wine becomes tame, you can't do anything with it. Goodbye, wine. Right? So that, that's the premise that the, that's been discussed up in well, case after case, or rather example of text after example of text. Before this section at the very end of the daf, Maishna Hashem and Deraula had leaked. What is the difference about oil as compared to wine? Right, where wine, everybody says you cannot make it tame, right? Here, so again, this case, if you have, okay, let's, I want to be careful here. If you have the truma is intermingled, you have truma that is pure, that is mingled with impure truma. So that oil is still fit for lighting, which is what we've just said, that you could still light it. And so therefore you can still have some value to it. It's not entirely a goner. But wine, that might, so so the Gemara says, nami why are you saying you have to chuck the wine? Really, you could find another purpose for wine. It could be sprinkled in the house and it could make it smell nice, for example, right? Why not do that with your imp- impure truma? Use it for some kind of benefit that is not obviously not drinking it, but you know there should be some. You, you should be able to find some use. So then the Gemara says, If you say that sprinkling wine is not a thing, right? Love miltahi. Literally, it's not a thing. The way we talk about it today, I guess then is more. You know, it's not significant. It doesn't have great significance. So. You might want to say that Ziluf, that the sprinkling of the wine is not a thing, but we have a proof text that says, lo and behold, it is a thing, where in fact they would sprinkle wine. And the reason they would, and, 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 and in fact, in that case, in this case, Shotin Malog Baselo, Mazalfin Balog Bashtayim, when you've got um, log here, we've, we've talked about the measurement of a log, right, which is, a, you know, again, it's like four kiddush cups basically in one. Right, so that's the amount that you have of the wine. You're going to sprinkle from it, and it's going to be valued even more so than the value of the wine that you would be drinking, which makes it sound like sprinkling this ziluf ziluf is more significant or more important. So then the Gemara says, no, we're talking about chadash. We're talking about a case of wine, new wine that is still on the press. It does not have a strong fragrance because it's that new, that first wine when it first comes out. It hasn't been. Um, you know, aged over many years, and you don't use that kind of wine for sprinkling. So, Yerdana, I'm thinking now of what you said about how the case gets restricted and restricted, because on the one hand, we have a distinction between oil and wine, and then we want to say, no, we could actually put them in the same category. They don't have to be in different categories. We could also find a use for the wine. And then the Gemara comes and says, no, let's restrict that wine case further to be talking about something that makes it impossible to actually be used, and now we understand better why that wine would have to be destroyed, right? Because it can't, meaning not destroyed like burned, destroyed by it can't be used because there is no ziluf to be done with it to begin with. So you don't get that added benefit. And then, of course, the gemara goes on, right? Like so, age the wine. 
and then you could sprinkle it. And the Gemara answers rather beautifully, I think, where it says, Ati beli de takala. You might then end up with a stumbling block, right? Which in Hebrew often is a mikshul, but here takala, I think of takala like a, any kind of, uh, I don't know, where something doesn't work right. You know, when your technology doesn't work right, it's a takala in modern Hebrew, which they get from here, of course, right? You can encounter a stumbling block, namely, then what if you forgot? What if you forgot that this wine that was a new wine and therefore couldn't be used for zilov, so you put it aside so that you could get it to ha to age and have that better scent, and then you can use it for zilov. But what if you came to forget and then you came to drink and now you're in real trouble, right? So the Gemara is really kind of fleshing out the parameters of its own assumptions here in a way that I think is just very neat, very nicely done, and I feel that you know if I if I um, got kind of stuck in this question of Rishon and Shani and Shlishi Latuma. Here, these, these, this kind of distinction, I think, is kind of, it's maybe a little more mathematical. Well, maybe that's not fair to say. But in any, in any case, it seems to line up in a way that is, as I said, rather pleasing. And again, Inyana Dioma. Right. Nice. So I, this staff was, this Ahmed was long, I should say. Um, but I agree with you. I think it was an easier topic to deal with in terms of Tuman Tower, and it lined up much nicer. And I love this distinction between oil and wine. Um, but also, who knew that sprinkling wine was a thing? Right? Because <laughs> it's not a well, thing. I think it is if you have dirt floors. But I was like, just trying to that picture, might be. you know, like sprinkling wine. You know, white aroma, wine. Right? Only white wine. The aroma. Or is that, I just thought it was like so interesting. So... <laughs> It seems to be. It seems to be for the aroma. It seems to be that there will be a pleasing smell if you can sprinkle this, right? And and I think that is true. If you go into a winery, right, you can almost get you can almost get a little bit of a buzz before you've taken anything to drink because that smell is so heady, right? I, I think it's also just you know wine and oil. Again, oil in the holiday of Hanukkah, oil becomes very prized, and wine all the time, meaning. Yeah. In a in a healthy way, I mean, you know, where we, where we, it's a nice. These are nice things to be talking about. Truma of wine and truma of of oil means that this is how the Kohanim were handling oil and wine. Exactly. Um, so I yeah, and I just thought it was also interesting that this is how the discussion of Tuman Taurus sort of get closes out as well. I agree with that. And again, I'm just gonna I I gotta harp the point that we're talking about. You know, think about everything we know about the Nes Pach Hashem, and right, the, which we talked about in Masachat Shabbat, of course, right, the miracle of the cruise of oil that lasts for eight days. And all of that is about finding oil that is sealed and pure to be able to light the menorah in the Beit HaMikdash, right? Meaning the, the issues of Tuman Tara are front and center in the traditional miracle of Hanukkah. Wow, that is a nice, all right, that's good. I like that. I'm going to end with that. That's our DAF discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Rabbanit Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this DAF and our Nath Nistar and discussion of oil on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.